Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Rock of defense. Rock of defense. You can write that down in your notes there. Rock of defense. Like defense. Defense. You ever been to a game? Defense. 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 Rock of <laughs> the rock of defense. Thank you, Danny, brother. Thank you, appreciate it for the piano. Awesome job, worship team. So good to come into the presence of the Lord. Let's give the worship team one more hand. Amen. When we talk about the rock, as you wrote that down in your notes, um, the rock has such a strong significance in Scripture. I don't know if you've caught that as you read your word and, and you're in the word of God. You've noticed the significance behind the word and, and, and the meaning of a rock. We could go so deep into the significance of rock that we could stay on it for months, to be honest with you. Um, it's, 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 it, seriously, it's all over scripture. But one of the things that we do see, or some of the things that we do see is that a rock is a constant symbol of strength. It's a constant symbol of stability. Uh, Permanence and, and a place where, where people in danger often in Scripture took uh, refuge. And, and you see it all throughout the passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, when it comes to God, God is actually, even in the Old Testament specifically, he is depicted as the, the rock of Israel. The rock of Israel. Very interesting. Meaning that he is the strength, he is the security and the deliverance for his people. You know, rocks were, were places, like I just said, of places of, of, of shelter, uh, places of refuge. I, I, you know, you've ever been so busy or, or so stressed out or so overwhelmed with maybe at, at work or with your family at home, and, and you're just like, I just, I just need to get away. Ever felt like just getting away? Any getty, getting awayers in here? Anyone just wanted to get away? Good. Well, we're planning a trip to Israel. What are you guys waiting for? <laughs> okay. But seriously, you know, you feel like getting away? I'd have. I have. Many times. And it's beautiful because when you read the word of God, it's almost as if he is the voice of reason in, in your heart. And your soul says, come on, get away with me. Let me become that, that shade. Let me become that refuge. Let me become that shelter that you need in the moments of your lives where you feel like you need to get away. And we see that in Scripture. We, know, we see that David, David hid himself from Saul, the Bible says, in the rocks. He hid himself from Saul in rocks. I mean, I would hide under my bed maybe in the closet. I, don't, I, wouldn't, 
I want to start to hide in rocks. I know, I get it. They lived in a different terrain. They lived in caves, and, and there was mountains all around there. And we get to see, when you go to Israel, we're going to pass by an area where, they, where we look at it and say, in one of these caves right here, we pass the mountain, uh, and we go to the scripture, and we say, this is one of the caves that David was hiding from Saul in. It's, it's, it's real cool when we pass by it. And, and he hid in rocks. Job, in the Bible, speaks about men running to rocks, making the rocks and the mountains their homes. So many times in the Psalms, the psalmist would write things like this. Listen to this. I pray to you, O my Lord, my rock. I pray to you, O Lord, my rock. Other times the psalmist would write things like, O God, my rock, I cry. And then he would go on a whole just rant on what's going on in his life or whatever it is. But, but so many times you would see things like that. Oh, my rock, I cry. You know, if we didn't know any better, we would think that he's kind of crazy. He's talking to rocks. But sometimes it's pretty, it's pretty good to be a little crazy and talk to some rocks. It's, it's, sometimes it's, it's really good to go a little crazy and, and just talk to the rock. Amen. And, 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 and the psalmist got to that point of his life where he recognized, I need to talk to the rock and I need to cry out to my rock. The rock is, is, is sim, symbolized for so many things in scripture. I encourage you to do a study on the rock, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. The Lord's strength, it symbolizes his faithfulness. Again, it symbolizes his safety. It symbolizes refuge in him. It symbolizes foundation, if you're taking notes, foundation. The rock symbolizes foundation. It also, as we speak about foundation, and in our discipleship class on Wednesday, we're going to learn a little bit about the rock and its foundation. It also symbolizes support. You've ever been through something like that you just need support? The rock symbolizes support. Rock is often associated with salvation and with deliverance. The rock is associated with those things. Also with, here it is, ready? Also with judgment and punishment. Did you know that? Also with judgment and punishment. <laughs> you know, sometimes they would be like, oh, my rock, I cry. And other times people were going to get what? Stoned by the rocks. Saying, <laughs> hey, which one is it? Is it my salvation or is it my punishment? Which one is it? You know, you're just juggling the rock. Where is it going to land today? And, and the rock is so significant in all these different things. I want to read a passage to you. It's Paul. And Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. And as he's writing to the church of Corinth, he, he, he's speaking to their ignorance. And as he speaks into their ignorance, he, he, he tells them, I'm going to speak to you about your forefathers. I'm going to speak to you about your, your fathers about the, the children of Israel. I'm going to talk to you about the fathers that when they left Egypt and they were in the wilderness, I want to give you a little lesson about their lives because here, here, here's Paul so many years later, and he said, because you're repeating some of the same stubbornness that they lived in. And, and this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm only going to read verses 1 through 5 for right now, but listen to this. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. How many of you can say that's victory? Amen. Yeah. Listen, try walking into a sea of dry ground. See if, it, you know, it's victory right there. And it says, in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. Everyone say spiritual food. All of them ate the same spiritual food. But look at verse 4 with me. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank, listen to this, for they drank from the what? 
from the spiritual rock. They drank from the spiritual rock. And now this is very interesting because Paul says this, and, and, and he's, he's not saying it because he's coming up with it. He's saying it because the Old Testament account in Exodus already mentions it. So he's just repeating what he knows in the Old Testament. So what Paul says next is this. They all drank of the same spiritual rock. But look at this. That traveled with them. It traveled with them. <laughs> just, it's just traveling with them. But he does something in the New Testament that Moses was not necessarily able to do in the Old Testament. Paul does it now in the New Testament. And he says this, they all drank and they all ate from the same spiritual rock that traveled with them. But look what he does next. He gives them the revelation of who the rock was in the Old Testament. And that rock was none other than, what does he say? Than Jesus Christ. I want you to really understand that because I'm going to destroy the theology that Jesus Christ was in the mind of God before time and he continues to exist in the mind of God for all eternity. No, Jesus Christ was alive yesterday, he's alive today, and he's alive forevermore. Jesus has always been in the place. Everything was created in him, through him, by him, for him. Okay? So, so Jesus was actually present with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. If you don't believe me, you go ask some Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was dancing with them in the fire. They might look at you and say, you didn't know? His name was Yeshua. He's always been there. So, so here's Paul, and, and he gives them this, this, you stubborn people. They all drank from the same spiritual rock. It, it went with them. It traveled with them. He, he, they, they walked together in this journey. There's relationship found there. Even in the Old Testament, it was a relationship between God and his people. And, and this rock was always, it has always been Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5, he says, yet God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You, you read these verses and you recognize that the rock definitely has a spiritual significance and we get it now. It wasn't that a physical rock traveled with the Israelites. But now Paul is, 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 is defining it so much more for us. And he's telling us that, that it's actually Christ. It's Christ in the spiritual form. He was ever present with his people. He was there. He was always present. He was there to supply their need. Their need for water. He was also there to judge them when they tested him. I'll, I'll prove it to you. In the same chapter, I'm going to skip down to verse 9. Look how everything changes. Paul says this about the children of Israel in chapter 9. He says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, some of the ancestors did. And they were destroyed by serpents. Everyone see that? So what is, what is Paul saying? He's like, so did our ancestors. They tested God, and, and God was not pleased with them, and, and many of them were destroyed. So, so we see that, that, that at this point of, of the children of Israel in the wilderness, it was a, it was a time of, of, of fulfilling and, and giving them what they needed and supplying for them, but it was also a time where they needed to be judged, and that's what the rock was. I'm going to share some scriptures with you throughout Throughout the word of God that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of prove all these things, especially coming into the New Testament. But before I jump into that, we see here that the rock, at times, write this down in your notes, at times the rock can be a punisher. No amens on that one, right? <laughs> at times the rock can bring forth judgment. You know, you've, we've all, I don't know, maybe you're this person here, but we still love you, we want you to come back. But, but we've all met the kind of people like, 
God, why would God allow that in my life? God is a loving God. Well, as soon as you became a parent, you recognized that you had to start disciplining your children because you're a loving parent. Can I get an amen? So, so we think God doesn't punish us because he's a loving God. No, actually, if he didn't punish you, then he wouldn't be defined as love. He wouldn't be defined as love. We'd take advantage of him. But because he is a loving God, sometimes the rock flies at us. God ever, God ever just thrown a rock at you? I didn't see that one coming, God. Just bam! Just nails you right in the heart. And you know that that, that was specifically from God? Like, I, I know God just nailed me on that one. Because he loves you. Sometimes he's a punisher. Sometimes he brings forth judgment. But at other times we see in scripture he's a supplier. We see here to the children of Israel even, he was a protector. How many of you can say amen for that? Amen. Supplier, protector. I want to go into a passage of scripture with you. Actually, two passages. It's actually, it's actually the beginning of Israel's exodus into the wilderness. We're going to start there in Exodus. I don't have time to really go so deep into all of it. And then from there, we're going to jump into Numbers where they're at their end of their wandering in, their, in the wilderness. So we're going to go from the beginning of their wilderness experience, and then we're going to jump into the end of the wilderness experience. Everyone with me on that? Yeah. So we're going to start off in Exodus chapter 17. If you're taking notes, have your Bibles, open them up there. And we're going to read starting from verse 2, Exodus 17, verse 2. Just shoot me an amen once you're there. Don't shoot me the rock. Don't throw the rock up here. Someone told me, I get it. These rocks are to stone you today, right? I say, hey. The beautiful part. I know she was messing, but she was one of my leaders. Uh-oh. The rock. Here we go. Ready? We're there? Here we go. It says, at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. And eventually, they camped to Rephidim. At Rephidim. But listen to this. There was no water there for the people to drink. There was no water there. Whenever there's no water, there's a problem. So once more, the people, I love that, once more. Does that sound like anyone? Once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. And Moses said, quiet, why are you complaining against me and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, our livestock with thirst? And Moses did what he had to do as a leader, right? He couldn't solve the problem for them. You know, sometimes as leaders, we got to recognize that we can't solve people's problems. we got to go to the one that could solve people's problems. That's where, that's where people make mistakes, where they try to be the, the problem solver instead of going to the one who really is the problem solver. So, so what Moses does is trying to, instead of trying to fix the situation, because I'm Pastor Moses, he says, no, I'm going to fix the situation. I'm going to go to Pastor God. <laughs> and he takes it to his rock, and this is what he does. So Moses cries out to the Lord. He says, what should I do with these people? You know, he's a frustrated leader when he now calls them these people, not my people. Remember, at one time, hold on, hold on. Let me talk to you for a moment. Let me talk to you for a moment. Because at one time, he told Pharaoh, let my people go. And now he's telling God, what do I do with these people? And, and you could almost see God saying, hey, I thought they were your people. Now they're these people. I'm not going to say I've ever felt like that. But I am going to tell you that this stuff happens. Okay? This stuff happens. What do I do with these people? 
God's probably laughing, smiling down at him. You heard that, son? So Moses cried that out. They're ready to stone me. Hold your rocks in your hand, please. So the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Does that sound stupid? They're going to stone me. Awesome. Walk in front of them. <laughs> Lord, that's, the, that's like the line of fire. Right, that's what I called you. I called you to serve me in the line of fire. Get in front. Get in front of where they're going to stand. Whatever. That's crazy. Take your staff. Oh, cool. We're going to play a little stick game here. We're going to play old school baseball. You guys know about that. Take your staff with you. The one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. It's almost like God saying, you forgot about the miracles I've done? Take that which will remind you. Take that which is a memorial that will serve you as a reminder. So when you face these people again, you can know that if I've answered before, I'll still answer you one more time yet again. Right? The one they used to struck the water of the Nile and cause some of the elders of Israel to join you. Moses like, thank God I'm not dying alone tonight. Some of the leaders are going to die with me. You know you have a good leadership team when some of them are, gonna, are willing to die with you. Moses is like, all right, good. Verse 6, I will stand before you on the rock. Did you notice where God will stand before Moses? On the what? Do you remember later on in Moses' life, he's, he's old in age already. He wants, you know, there's something about as you get older, you just want to see, God, show me your glory, right? When you get older, you just you pray that more. I feel like you pray that more. Maybe, maybe not. Show me your glory. And what does God tell Moses when he says, show me your glory? He says, okay, cool. I'm going to pass by you. But you need to what? Stand on the what? On the rock by the cliff. And I'll pass by you and I'll show you my back. He needed to stand on the rock. You guys notice that? Stand on the rock and I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. And then he says this, ready? Strike the rock. Everyone say, strike the rock. rock. And water will come gushing out. And the people will be able to drink. So Moses, now he sees why he needed the staff. He struck the rock as he was told. And and listen to this. Water began to gush out as the elders looked on. As the elders looked on. So that's why God wanted the elders there. That's why. So Moses named that place Masa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. It's funny, right? Because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or is he not? What a beautiful passage. Everyone say, strike the rock. This is the beginning of their journey in the wilderness. They're traveling from place to place. They're thirsty in the wilderness. And Moses had to strike the rock, commanded by God to strike the rock, and water came gushing out. Does everyone understand what's happening so far? He struck the rock. He struck the rock. He struck the rock, and water came out. Amen? Amen. Now we're going to fast forward in time. We're going to jump to Numbers. In Numbers chapter 20, if you're taking notes, I do not have time to read it all, but write this down in your notes. Numbers 20, verses 2 through 13. Go home and read that whole entire passage. Numbers 20, verses 2 through 13. You need to spend time in the word at home. Go ahead and and start with those verses right there. Do that. Numbers 20, 2 through 13. What happens here? Well, they're still journeying. They're they're towards the end of their wilderness um, fiasco. And as they're at the end, um, same thing starts to happen. 
They start to complain to Moses, our livestock is dying, people are dying. Why would you make us leave Egypt? Why are we in this terrible place? The land has given us no food. The land has given us no figs, no grapes, no fruit, nothing. The land has given us no water to drink. I mean, they are such a mess. They forgot about what God did in the beginning of their journey. And now at the end of their journey, they're forgetting yet again. It teaches us something about our Christian walk, doesn't it? That God is able to do some amazing things in our walk but then we continue to serve him, and when we face another trial, it's so easy to forget God's goodness in moments of where he answered us. And you ever been there? So, so they find themselves complaining again. And, and I love verse 6. Verse 6 says, Moses and Aaron turned away from the people, and they went to the entrance of the tabernacle, because the tabernacle is now built, proving to you that we're later on now in their wilderness travels, where they fell face on the ground, and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, here we go, guys, look at verse 8. You and Aaron must take the staff, there it is again, and assemble the whole entire community, the entire community. As the people watch, listen to this, speak to the rock. Everyone say, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Yeah. Speak to the rock over there, and it's going to pour out its water. And you will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told, verse 9. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. And he and Aaron summoned all the people to come together at the rock. And he said, listen, you rebels. You know, he had to, God didn't tell him to say that. Did you notice that? God did not tell him to say that. But Moses was so frustrated in ministry, so frustrated in leading people, that his heart was bitter towards the people that he was leading. And what does he call them? No longer my people again. But what? Listen to me, you bunch of rebels. You know he wasn't like saying it nice. Rebels. You know he was screaming at them at this time. You know he was waving their, his, his staff in their faces. Listen to me, you rebels. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is good. Because then he says this. Don't worry about it, guys. I'll find out where I left off. And just tell me the verse. All right. Here we go. He shout, Oh, I told you. He shouted it. Must we bring you water from this rock? Isn't that amazing? He picks up a rock, a boulder with Aaron. Doom. He takes out his staff. Listen to me, you rebels. Must we do this again and bring out water from this rock? <laughs> and all the rebels in the, in the audience are like, Yeah. What stupid question is that? It's hilarious. So Moses raised his hand. You ever been angry and you raised your hand? Better be careful you raise your hand at. Better be careful. Better be careful. Because you never know what they'll raise against you. Better be very careful when you raise your hand. So he raises his hand again. And, and look what happened. And he struck the rock. I want, before we keep reading, I want everyone to say this. God is faithful. He is faithful. Let, let me tell you who he's faithful to. Ready? This is going to bless your life. He's so faithful to his people even when the leader is ignorant of his ways. That is why churches can continue to flourish with an ignorant, foolish, even a sinful leader. Because God still loves the people that the leader is leading. 
So God lets this leader continue, continue, and continue, chance after chance, grace after grace, until his sin is exposed and needs to remove him from his position. But it will be a long time before he does it because at the end of it, he is really after the heart of the people that the leader is leading. It's true. It's true. I'm going to prove to you that God is faithful. Okay? Watch this. So he raised his hand. He struck the rock. How many times? He called them rebel. He shouted at them. Shouted at them. And now he's striking the rock. Not once. Because before he struck it once. Now he's striking it twice. I've disciplined my son before. And when I've disciplined him once, I was a little, you know, oh, I was just trying to teach him. But when I disciplined him twice, I did it out of anger. I did it because things weren't right probably in my heart. So I, I lashed out more than what I even should have. And here's Moses. Because I think you can say things once and you can make your point. But when you say things twice, you're just full of yourself. And Moses was full of himself. So twice he strikes the staff. But I want everyone to read the next part. When he struck the rock twice, what happened? You can say it. You know why water gushed out? It wasn't because Moses struck the rock. It was because God is faithful to the people that were thirsty. Can we rewind? Rewind, rewind. With your eyes on that Bible that you have open, rewind. In Exodus, God told Moses to strike the rock. In Numbers, God told Moses to what? Speak to the rock. Did you catch that? Where did Moses think that he could strike the rock again? God never told him to strike it again. As a matter of fact, God told him to what? Speak to I thought that would have been a cooler miracle. I thought that would have been so much cooler. You rebels, water, come out. That would have been so much cooler. (laughs) The first time he was told to strike it. The second time he was told just to what? Just. The rock has already been struck at once. Everyone say once. So it no longer needs to be struck again. All you need to do with the rock that has been struck already is now what? Speak. You go from striking it to what? Speaking to it. Stop striking that which has already been struck for all mankind. And speak to that. Speak to that which has already been struck. And because of that strike that has been poured upon him, is still pouring out grace and love and mercy. And his blood is still flowing. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? Do you get this or not? Because I want you to know something. You don't have to re-crucify Christ to be saved. Christ was already crucified. Christ was already struck. Christ has already been broken. And that brokenness and that crucifixion is still pouring out today. You don't have to strike the rock again. It's already been struck. All you need to do is come to the cross and speak. 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 But what we do wrong is, no, I'm going to strike because I am ticked off. I'm going to strike him. But God never told Moses to strike. Speak to the rock. He strikes it twice. He strikes it twice. So what happens next, right? He says, so Moses raised it. He struck it twice and water gushed out. The entire community and their livestock drank and they were what? And they were filled. Why? Because God is faithful to his people. Everyone say God's faithful. And I want you to make this declaration. He is faithful to you. Amen. Amen. Everyone say, but. But. Let Let me talk to you for a moment. 
receive. Faithful to his people. And then everyone say, but. Then he turned around and he says, Moses, let's go talk. <laughs> That's serious. I'm going to be faithful to them. But Moses, you're the leader. Come on, let's go talk. I got to talk to you about some stuff. So powerful. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness. Guys, this is very powerful to leaders. This is very powerful because sometimes, you, Moses, you know what you did? You felt like you needed to strike. What you should have done is just got yourself out of the way and just speak and let me show up. And that's what happens with a lot of people. They want to play God when in reality is don't try to fabricate this stuff. Just get out the way and let God be God. And you just spend time speaking to him and watch God show up. He's the rock. He's the rock that is spoken to. Just move out the way and let him flow. Move out the way. But because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness, I would be so scared to stand before God and say, Regal, you did not allow me to demonstrate my holiness to that church you pastored. That's scary, man. Because you had all these different agendas, you had all these different time frames, you had all this other stuff, when in reality I wanted them just to soak in my presence, soak in my holiness, soak in my glory. You're so caught up, man, with modern Christianity that you skipped out on more holiness for your church. That's scary, man. That is so scary. So Moses, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel. Now listen, you're not going to lead them into the land I am giving them. Did you guys just catch that? He's not saying, Moses, you're going to go to hell. That's not what he's saying, guys. Don't, don't, don't misinterpret and say, Moses is going to hell. No, God's a loving God, even to Moses. But Moses did have to fess up to his error. And he said, Moses, I'm going to remove you now. I'm going to put another leader in place. And that leader with the right heart is going to get them to where I want to get them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Because I've seen that so many times. I've seen God remove people. And when you think, oh, my God, how is stuff going to work now? I've seen God put new person in place, and it just continues to flourish, sometimes even better. Why? Because then God shows the person. It's not in the person. It's in the one who flows through that person. Yes. Moses did not allow the flow to come out properly. So I'm going to remove you, and I'm going to bring Joshua in, and he's going to allow the flow to come out properly. He's going to learn to speak to rocks. Because you haven't gotten to that degree yet. You're still striking rocks. I have a young man that's right behind you. I don't know if you noticed, but he's watching everything you do. He's learning from you. You guys better watch out, man. There's someone right behind you, and they're looking at every little thing that you're doing. You better be careful. They'll take your position from you one day. Why? Because your heart needs to be pure before God. Who, who are you doing this stuff for? You, you clean bathrooms for a living, you, you work in the corporate world, you, 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 whatever you do for a living, listen, you're doing it for the glory of God. Be careful. There's someone right behind you that if you don't do your job for the glory of God, God's like, all right, if I have to remove you, I'll remove you. It doesn't mean you're going to hell, but hey, I'll put someone else with the right heart in place. So what do I do, God? Stop striking the rock. Come on, just get to the place in the present, get into the position where you are. You learn to speak and watch my holiness flow. Moses, I need to remove you. Ready? Two different exodus, two different... Sorry, two different events occurred, two different regions, two different times. Exodus, within the first year, number starts one month, one month after that and continues and records the years of wanderings. If you want to continue to go, Deuteronomy records the last, the last year of Israel's wandering. But, but in Exodus and Numbers, we see that, 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 that there are some similarities, but there's some way differences. For example, in Exodus, Miriam is alive. We just read in Numbers, Miriam is dead. Two different 
Two different time periods. Two different time periods. I don't have time to go into everything else that I wrote in my notes about the two different time periods, but I want you to know this. Ready? The rock here was a symbol of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, we started off the message with letting you know that the rock in the wilderness that Moses struck, that Moses even was supposed to speak to on a second account, at all times it was represented as Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? That's what Paul is talking about. That's why I needed to read those verses. That's why I needed to take my time. Now I'm going to get into my message. Okay? This is the part now. You see, Jesus, Jesus had already been struck. I, you, you've got, you got that revelation already. Now, the next time God didn't want him to be struck, uh, figuratively speaking, but he wanted now Jesus is to be spoken to. See, the rock was already struck to give us life, but now the rock is to commune with us, to talk to and have relationship with us. I'll prove it to you. I got to read this fast. I don't have too much time. Watch this. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 7. If you're taking notes, write it down. I don't have time for you to flip to it unless you can flip fast. Here we go. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 7, say this. Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet is speaking of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you ready for this? Everyone say, I'm ready. ready. He's going to prove it to you. He is despised and he's rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him what? Stricken. Yep, there it is. Stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was wounded. Everyone say wounded. wounded. Stricken. Stricken. Afflicted. There you go, guys. He was wounded for our transgressions, buried for our sins, our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, him, the rock, the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed. Everyone say oppressed. And he was afflicted. Say afflicted. But yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Did everyone catch this revelation? Jesus Christ, the rock, he was struck. He was struck. And in being struck, he took on what? Our condemnation. All the, listen to this. All of the offenses against us, he took it on the cross. Did you hear the word I just said? I said all of the offenses against us, he took it on the cross. Did you catch that? So, so that now we could have salvation. So that now he could become what? No longer what? Living the offenses of man or the offenses of sin, but now that he could become our defense. So that now he could be our rock. What do you mean by rock? I don't get it yet. Okay, maybe I can say it this way. The Bible says he is now the rock of our salvation. The rock of salvation. And what a powerful thing that is. You know, Psalms 18, David, he writes these words with, with such precision, precision. He writes these words. Ready? Verse 1, chapter 18 of Psalm. He says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. Listen to what he says next. The Lord is my rock. Wow, David, how'd you get that? He's my fortress. And why what? Savior, my God, is my rock in whom I find what? protection he's my shield he's the power that saves me and my place of safety guys he's talking about a rock here who is his lord i called on the lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies the ropes of death entangled me the floods of destruction swept over me the grave wrapped its ropes around me death laid a trap in my path but in my distress i cried out to the lord yes i prayed to the god for my help he heard me from his sanctuary my cry to him reached his ears he's my rock did everyone catch that Write that down in your notes, Psalm 18, verses 1 through 6. You know what that reminds me of? People were on their way to church one day, just like you were on the way to church today. I'm going to speak to your heart now. 
because I'm going to start closing up in a moment. Not yet, but in a moment. And everyone's on the way to church, putting their makeup on while they're driving, looking at the last-minute Instagram post before they get to church, checking who texts them, check what's going on. They get to church. They sit down. The teacher comes. He sits down. Everyone sits down with him. And in the middle of his teaching, there's a rumbling. You know this story. It's the woman caught in adultery. And they bring a woman who is most likely naked before everyone in the place. And as they bring her in, Jesus is interrupted in his lesson. Okay? Maybe I'll read it to you just so you can get an idea. It says, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back at it again at the temple. We're back at it again at the temple. Amen? (laughs) A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. I'm not lying to you all. And as he was speaking, the teachers, teachers of the religious law, the Pharisees, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in the front of the crowd. You know what that means, right? They put her in a place of shame. Yeah. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. Did, did, you, did you understand that for a moment? The law of Moses says what? The stone of offense is against her. Come on. The stone of offense is against her. She was caught in the very act of adultery. The, Mo, the law of Moses says the stone of offense is against her. This is what she should be. She should be stoned and killed right here before all these people. It's awesome. What do you say, teacher? So they were trying to trap him, saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stu- stood up again. And look what he says. All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first what? You guys have all these offenses against her, right? So watch this. All of you are with no offense. All of you that are innocent as charged. All of you that have not one uh, guilt to your name, not one fault to your name. Go ahead. Pick up your stone that you walked in here with. Everyone have a stone? Come on. Come on. Come on. Let me see your stones. I want you to know right now that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I am saved by grace, and I'm longing for more of his righteousness. But I want you to know you hang out with me long enough, you're going to see. You're going to see some sin creep out of me because I'm trying to be like Jesus, but I ain't Jesus yet. I'll be like him in glory, but I'm not, I'm not in glory. I do, and we do well, experience some glory, some heaven here on earth. But come on, we're not in the full totality of it yet. So come on, you who are without sin first, come on and stole me. You might as well just get it over with now before you find out something about me. You might as well just do it, get it over with. You see, they walked in, every single one of them walked into the church with a stone of offense. Okay? So Jesus said, all right, you holy people, you righteous people people of God, if this woman has done such a fault and she's found an offense towards you, watch this, every single one of you without fault, pick up your stone that you walked in with and go ahead and stone her first. You know what they did? Exactly what you're doing right now. Except they dropped their rocks and they walked right out that door. It says here, He stooped down again and he wrote in the dust and the accusers heard this. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your what? Yeah, where are those who accuse you? Where are those who what? Offend you. Where are those who have drawn offenses towards you? Where are they? And she says what? No, Lord, there's none. So Jesus looks at her right now and says, what, neither do I go and sin no more. Did everyone catch that? All right, here's my message for this part. Ready? They came with stones of offense. They came with rocks of offense. 
she is to be stoned. And you see here that the rock of the Old Testament, according to the Ma of Loses, was the rock of punishment, was the rock of judgment. Did everyone catch that? So Jesus says, all right, let each one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. The one with no offense throw the first stone of offense towards her. So Jesus stood up again, saw that no one was in the building anymore, looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? No one, Lord. And he says, near do I go and sin no more. Did everyone catch the second symbolism of the rock there? There was another rock in the building as well. They came in with rock of offenses, rock to destroy her, rock to condemn her, rock to punish her, huh? You ever hung out with Christians like that? Man, they're, they're very, stay away from them. <laughs> stay away from those kind of. Because you know what? If you receive God's grace, if you've been forgiven much, there's something about you to love other people that need to be forgiven much. So be careful for those that you hang out with that are constantly throwing stones at people. God might be telling you to take a U-turn. <laughs> hey, buddy, I'll see you later, alligator. So, so, so he tells him this, ready? He says this. Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. So there's another rock presented, and that now is the fulfillment in Christ. Watch this now. The rock now is not thrown to condemn us and kill us, but rather to what? What is he doing to this woman? Rather to heal her, to save her, to what? Defend her. Guys, she was just caught in adultery. Yeah, she should have been stoned. But not according to Christ's new law. Not according to his death that he was about to die on the cross. Not according to his blood. Now he's there to defend her. I want you to write this down in your notes. Ready? The rock of offense now becomes the rock of defense. He's defending us. We go from being, listen to this. We go from being condemned and offended to being what? Forgiven, forgiven, and defended. Man, praise God for that. I could have screamed and made it so much more emotional, but for what? <laughs> if you don't get it by me saying it to you, then you're never going to get it. Because I could have said... We go from being condemned and offended, from being forgiven and defended. And maybe you would have clapped. <laughs> but I'm not here to cheer you on. I'm here to let you know that your God now forgives you and defends you, no longer turns his back on you and judges you and condemns you. Come on. That's who your rock is. That's who he is. That's who he is. Man, love this rock. How many of you have fallen in love with that rock in your hand, huh? Love it. So, let's keep flowing. In John chapter 7, we find Jesus in Jerusalem. He's, I'm having a good time. I feel comfortable today. So, so when I feel comfortable, we go a little bit longer. Ready? <laughs> We're going to dedicate Familia de los Sanchez. No te preocupe. We're going to dedicate the baby. Here we go. Ready? In John 7. <laughs> in John 7. In John 7. Ready? We find Jesus in Jerusalem. We find Jesus in Jerusalem. He's celebrating as a Jew one of the seven feasts observed by the Jews. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast, a.k.a. of Booths. And to understand Jesus' words here, you need to have some understanding of this beautiful feast that they still celebrate today. It goes back to, I need to go fast. Here we go. It goes back to Leviticus 23, and it was given to the Israelites by Moses. The last day of the feast, this dedication, this celebration was the most important. Listen to this. It was known as the Hoshana Rabbah, which means the great day. I want you to imagine this. Ready? There was a parade of worshipers. There was a bunch of flutists. And they led the priest to the pool of what's called Siloam. When you go to Israel with us, you will go to the pool of Siloam. It is still there. The steps that Jesus were literally sat at and healed people at. The pool of Siloam is still present there. Just not beautiful. It's grass everywhere and all that. And, and, and the priest now had these two golden pitchers. One is for wine. And he fills the other one with water. Everyone say Water. Good. And he fills it up with water from the pool. And as the flutes continued to play, a choir, listen, of Israelites began to chant. Guess what they began to chant? Everyone say, tell me. They begin to chant a psalm by the number of 118. I'm going to read it to you. You better believe it because it's very significant to what I'm, about to, what I'm preaching to you. 
So they begin, these singers of Israel begin to sing Psalm 118, beautiful. And the whole procession heads back now to the temple through what is called the water gate. That's not, they're, they're, it's not a coincidence. There's a reason why they go through the water gate. And as they go through the water gate, a trumpet now sounds. And as the trumpet sounds, the priest enters the temple. And it's to alert everyone the priest is here in the temple area. And he approaches the altar where the two silver basins are waiting. And he pours wine into one of the basins as a drink offering to the Lord. And then what he does is awesome. Ready? He saves the water for last. Everyone's like, no way. You've got to save the wine for last. No, nope, he saves the water for last. And what he does is he grabs the water from the pool of Siloam. And he pours it into the other basin. The whole ceremony with the parade and the flutes and all the singing, it was such a beautiful occasion that one ancient rabbi wrote this anyone anyone who has not seen the water ceremony has never seen rejoicing in his life that's that's the eruption that that it was like during the feast of tabernacles ready the ceremony of this water being poured out on this last day which was called the great day of the feast of tabernacles this ceremony was to thank god it was to thank god for his bounty and to ask him to provide rain for the crops in the coming year you know, today when we think about it, we just turn on a faucet and we get water. But in the Middle East, and especially during these times, it was not in the first century that easy to draw water. Nowadays, we take 20-minute hour showers. In those days, man, you walked, what, hours and miles for a bucket of water. You see the difference? See the difference? Okay, so water was very significant. The people were very much aware of the dependence of God and for his reigns. They were vital for the preservation of life, for their crops. So no wonder the prophets came to see rain as a symbol of salvation and the work of God and his Holy Spirit. So what happens in this day? Ready? We're in John chapter 7 now if you're taking notes. They're doing the Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of Booths, and they're doing this whole procession. Can you imagine this? The flutes are playing. The people are singing. They're all singing Psalm 118, which we're about to say. We're about not to sing it, but read it. And as everyone is having this amazing celebration in the temple, Jesus walks in. The rabbi he comes in, stands up, and he interrupts this thing called the great day. The great day. Not a good idea, man. <laughs> Not a good idea to interrupt such an important feast. And this is what he says in verse 37 of John 7. Here we go. On the last day, and he's speaking on the great day, and he's speaking about the last day. The great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and what? And he who believes in me, drink, for those that are listening, drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will what? Flow what? Rivers of living water. Now, you know what's crazy about all this? This is what's crazy about all this. What the singers of Israel were singing during this whole procession. And Jesus stands up and says, if you just come to me, I'll give you water. And man, it is rivers of living water. You'll never thirst again. But do you know what people were singing in the background? You want to know? Psalm 118, I don't have time to read it all, but I will read verse 1, then 10 through 14, and 21 through 24. Tell me if you catch it. Ready? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. All nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surround me. Yes, they surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. See the, you see the defending there? You punished me violently that I may fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he's become my salvation. doesn't end there. For I will praise you, and you have answered me, and you've become my what? Salvation. Here he goes. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day, of the Lord has, this is the, day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about here. But on this great day, they're singing a song. And they're saying 
that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And out in the midst of that song, there's a man that stands up and says, if you drink from my waters, you will never thirst again, for out of it will flow rivers of living water. What do you think he was talking about? I'm the stone that you're singing about. I'm the stone of the Old Testament of your ancestors. The one that was struck and the one that should have been spoken to and I still pour out water today. And if you come and drink from this rock, you will never thirst again and out of it will flow rivers of living water. I don't know if you understand that. But in the Feast of Tabernacles, in the Feast of Booths, we see exactly what he wants to do. What does he want to do? He wants to tabernacle in us. The Feast of what? Tabernacle. He wants to what? Tabernacle. What does that mean? He wants to be our rock of defense. That stands for us and leads us and fills us. That will cause to flow in us rivers of living water. Do you understand what is being said there? Don't strike the rock, what Jesus is saying. He's just telling the the crowd, what? Just come to me and drink from me. Just talk to me. Man, not that long from there, they're going to strike him and they're going to hang him on a cross. Just, Just talk to me. Because you're singing the song. The stone that the builders rejected, the stone that the builders struck, has become the chief cornerstone. The rock, our foundation, the the rock, our defense. Don't strike him in rejection. And maybe you're here and you're rejecting Christ. What are you doing? Drop your staff. Stop striking him. Just speak to him. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to tabernacle in you. So that out of your heart can flow rivers of living water. How many of you need that? Now I'm going to end, and I promise you now is when I end. And I end with John chapter 4. Actually, I'm going to end with 1 Samuel 17. As we get ready to jump into 1 Samuel 17, there was a beautiful thing that happened one day. Jesus goes to a well, and there's a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. You remember that story? And Jesus tells the woman in John 4.10, he says, if you only knew the gift of God. Everyone say the gift of God. The gift of God. And what he has for you, the one who is speaking to you today, you would ask of me and I would give you living water. I want you to understand the Samaritan woman had about five husbands at the time. She was sleeping around. She was living in sin. She wasn't committed to a man. She was a sinner, just like us. But I want you to know that in John 4.10, he wasn't there to condemn her as she thought he was. Instead, he was there to save her. Instead, he was there to become her savior, her defender, to become her rock her source of spiritual food and water forever. Do you know that it's the same thing with you today? It's the same thing with the church. Where do we run to? Where do we go? He is our food. He is our drink. He is the rock, our defender. He is the rock, our salvation. How many of you can say amen? As you have your rocks in your hand, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to end in 1 Samuel chapter 17. As we end in 1 Samuel 17, it's interesting, the story. I'm going to go back and visit a story that many of us are very familiar with. It is the story of when David confronts Goliath. How many of you have heard of that story? Good. That's my son's favorite story, so I hear it a lot. So I preach on it a lot. But no, my son loves to reenact it. I should call him up here and do a demonstration, but it'll take too long. I want to visit, revisit this. In verse 42 of chapter 17, it says, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him 
for he was only a youth, ruddy, good-looking. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I want to give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. How are you going to do that if my God created those things? You, know, you, know, you don't have command over those things. So David said to the Philistine, guys, listen to how we're going to end this thing. Just, just really flow in this thing. He says, you come to me with a sword. Everyone say, you come to me with a sword. Say that. You come to me with a sword. You come to me with a sword. You come to me with a sword. With a spear. Everyone say spear. With a javelin. But I don't come to you with any of that. Instead, David says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel. Did, did you understand that? You come and you have all this weaponry. Which I don't have. I'm just a shepherd. What you don't know is that in my secret, I fight bears and lions for fun. My own hands. But you come to me with all your weapons. Which I don't have on me. Because, you know, he had a little pouch on him. You know, his little pouch that hung on his side, he had like five little pebbles, five, five rocks just hanging on his pouch. He had just a little pouch with five rocks. And he had a, the reason why it said sticks is because he had a slingshot that was made out of wood. So he comes with, with, with the slingshot and he comes with this piece of uh, fabric wrapped on around wood and he's, and he's gonna wave it eventually at the, at, the, at the giant and he comes with a little pouch and he says, what are, you, what are you doing coming to me with those sticks and, and with that little pouch and, and David's like, I don't know, I don't have any swords, I don't have any spears, I don't have any weaponry like you do, but I do come to you in the name of the Lord and he says this, verse 46, the day, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'm going to strike you and I'm going to take your head from you, that's awesome man this day I'm going to give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts. You know what he's telling them? I'm not only going to defeat you, I'm going to defeat all your boys too. All of your bodies are going to be given to the birds. You said my body's going to be given? Now watch this. Just for saying that, your body and everyone else's body is going to be given to the birds. So not, be careful who you raise your hand to. <laughs> and all the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, then all of the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear. Listen to this. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was that when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. That is nuts. He did not run away from his opposition. He ran to his opposition. He ran to his enemy. He says, you want to bring it? Watch this. I'm going to meet you there. I'm not even going to wait for you to come to me. I'm going to beat you in getting to me. You know that God sometimes, if you're quiet, if you're gentle, if you discern right, he'll show you the enemy before he fully gets to you. That you can meet the enemy before the enemy comes in and starts ravaging your life. You just got to catch it. So he runs to him as well. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David that David hurried, ran towards the army to meet the Philistines. And look at verse 49. Then David put his hand in his bag. And he took out a stone and he slung it 
and he struck the Philistine right in his forehead. That stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword. Everyone said there was no sword. In the hand of David. In the hand of David. Because God has called you to fight battles different than the world fights battles. Sometimes we act just like the world, don't we? Sometimes we act just like the rest of these people that don't know Jesus. And we look at each other and say, do you even know Jesus? Why do you ask me that? Because you're fighting the battle the way the world and the way sinners and the way people that don't know Jesus fight battles. But don't you know you're different? You fight battles differently. They fight with swords. You just come with a rock. You come with me with swords and spears and a, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. God, the defender of Israel's armies. And out of his bag, he reaches in. And out of his bag, he takes none other than a rock. How significant is it that he tells his enemy, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And out of his pouch, he takes out something that represents who the Lord is. The rock, my defender, my salvation, will give me your body and the rest of their bodies to the birds and to the beast in the field. That's crazy. That's insane. There was no sword in David in his hand. David's defender was that one statement. That one statement was the defender. Ready? The Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. His defender was that one act of putting his hands in his bag and taking out a stone. And I guess the best way that I can end today's message, because I could go so much longer on this stone, but the best way that I can end this message is this. Ready? What do you put in your bag? Because you're going to need it when it's time to take it out for battle. And if you don't have the rock, I'm telling you today, that battle is not going to be pleasant to you. Because if you reach into your bag and you take out a sword for battle, and that's what you thought that you needed for battle, I'm telling you right now, you took the wrong weapon out because what you needed was not a sword. Because that's what the rest of this world fights with. What you need is, it's the rock, your salvation. It's the rock, your defender, the rock of defense. And his name is Jesus. And I promise you that in the time of warfare, in the time when we stand by the cold that we believe in, that we make war, and you battle, and you battle against enemies, and you battle against sicknesses, and you battle against health, and you battle against things that are breathing hell against your neck, you stand against it and you can't stand against it with human knowledge you can't stand against it with, with, with the sciences of this world today you can't stand with it with the medicine of this world there is only one way that you could stand against the enemies that rise up against you his name is Jesus the rock of defense that's it that is it 
You can take me into the office and show me all your degrees and show me all your certificates, but I'm going to tell you what, those certificates and those degrees don't do nothing in the time of warfare. What you need in your pouch is a rock and his name is Jesus. Don't bring out the sword. Don't bring out other things. Bring out the name of Jesus and wave it around at your enemy and say, today he will deliver me into my hands, deliver you into my hands. The rock, the rock of you should say it. You should say it. So you can believe it for yourself. The rock of defense. The rock of defense. He took out a stone. And he ran to him. And he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And that was just enough just enough the greatest weapon is what this rock symbolizes your greatest defense your greatest defender your greatest protector your greatest lover your greatest hope your greatest joy your greatest everything it's what in this rock represents it's Jesus Christ, the rock of your salvation. Jesus Christ, the rock, your defender. Man, I don't even know what to do. With every eye closed, maybe, maybe you've never made Jesus the rock of your faith. Maybe your life is not founded on this rock. Maybe he's not the chief cornerstone. Maybe out of your life, rivers of living water don't flow because Christ the rock is not really the cornerstone of your life. Instead, he's what we read. He's been stricken. He's been rejected. And today you've come to a place where no longer reject the rock but you will you will stand before him and you allow him to be your defender you allow the rock to be your salvation and today if that's you right now where you're at I want you to lift up your rock and if you've never and you need to make that statement today this is what I wanted you to do ready I don't want you to even think about it I want you to run up here and say I want you to pray with me because I need to come to the place where I believe in this rock this rock, my defender, I need to come to a place where he becomes my, my cornerstone and, and come up here with your rock if you have it. And we're going to pray with you and we're going to believe with you. But it, for everyone else that this just encouraged, for everyone else that you know that you were at a point where all these offenses were thrown your way, know that there's one who stands with you to defend you. Know there's one that's there that says the battle belongs to me. Know that you're called to be different. Know that you're called to carry the rock with you. Know that you're called to wave Christ, your defender, around at anything that opposes you. So this is what we'll do as we sing a song. And if you need prayer, come up. We want to pray with you. And we want to pray this truth over you. That, that, Lord, you would be that defender over their lives. That, Lord, you would be that hope, that salvation over their lives. And for everyone else in the church, that, that this just fills them. Just thank him and praise him and declare this truth to him. Lord, you are my defender. You are my salvation, Lord God. You are my refuge, Lord. You are my shelter, Lord. Thank you, the rock. Oh, God, my rock, I cry out to you. And begin to declare that and begin to cry out those praises to him. 
But let's spend a minute or so in the presence of God. Let's spend some time in song. And if you truly need that prayer today to make Christ that rock of your life, it's not even made as we pray for you. It's made as you, as you make that decision right there at your seat walking up here. The breakthrough is in answering the con saying, yes, Lord, here I am. So as we worship him, the altar's open. Let us pray for you and believe with you.